The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hello, listeners. The quote for today comes from Robert Browning, and he said, Unless a man's reach exceed his grasp, what's a heaven for? Robert Browning was vegetarian, at least for a while. We keep running into people who had some recidivism there. But I love the quotation, and it actually fits for me today, because I am doing the show for you in a different location. I am in a place that I would never have heard of had it not been for sex in the city back when I was living in Kansas City, and that is that I am at the Montauk Yacht Club in the Hamptons. I'm speaking for an investors group about veganism, the vegan life, vegan business, and meeting with people who have different ideas from those I usually run into, so I should leave here with a bigger brain than I started out. I also have a bigger heart this Wednesday afternoon than I did a week ago, and that's because I attended the 40th anniversary Vegetarian Summerfest. If you have never been to a vegetarian summer fest, oh my goodness, get yourself next year to Johnstown, Pennsylvania. This is summer camp for vegans of all ages. So many wonderful friends and speakers were there. In particular, I got to see Howard Lyman, the mad cowboy that I haven't seen in many years. He was incredibly inspiring as ever. And they premiered or did the East Coast premiere of Cowspiracy, an amazing documentary. Oh, my gosh, you have to see this. Cowspiracy is about why the big environmental organizations aren't telling people about the number one cause of global warming, warming climate change, and that is animal agriculture. Well, we are bringing somebody on right now in the appetizer portion of our program who is telling it loud and clearly, loudly and clearly, and that is Karen Hartglass. Karen has a master's degree in chemical engineering and is a classically trained singer as well as a vegan activist. She is co-founder of Responsible Eating and Living and the host of It's All About Food on the Progressive Radio Network. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Victoria. I'm happy to be your appetizer today. Oh, well, I want to have you on as an entree soon so that we can talk and talk and talk. But you did the bravest and coolest thing. You spoke to a group of cattle ranchers. How did that come about? 
You know, I got an email from this woman who owns a small feedlot in Nevada, and she was putting together a panel on climate change, and I had to give her a lot of credit because she really wanted to have people representing all all sides of the climate change conversation. She had a climate change denier on the panel. She had uh, someone who believes in animal agriculture intensification, and she wanted a vegan. And she sent out some emails, and uh, what I understand is that either she was ignored or she got some hostile responses, and I jumped at it. I thought, this is a phenomenal opportunity. Oh, you are so brave. I mean, of course, I hope the denier is the one on the panel who was even as right as the vegan, but I just don't think that that's so. So what did you say to the ranchers and what was their reaction? Well, you know, we didn't have a lot of time, each of us, for our presentations. It was a two and a half hour program in total, but there was time for rebuttal and questions. And I gave my 10 minute presentation and climate change is a very complicated subject, very complicated. And uh, I read a lot of science before I decided what I could glean down into the simplest form to talk to these people. But I basically talked a little bit about the carbon cycle, how carbon moves from the atmosphere into the ground and into the oceans and deep into the geosphere and how we're fast-tracking that carbon out and burning it as fossil fuels. And and then I started talking about animal agriculture's contribution and uh, basically told them that the simplest the most logical answer is to eat plant foods instead of animal foods. And I tried to show them with pictures and very simple logic uh, why that is. And And unfortunately, most people are comparing, quote, humane animal agriculture with animal agriculture intensification. And unfortunately, animal intensification animal agriculture intensification puts out less greenhouse gases than if animals were allowed to graze freely. But nobody talks about the third option, which is having people eat plants directly rather than growing plants to feed animals to feed people. Oh, so and, true. So what was And that puts out questions? negligible greenhouse gases. Exactly. And those are the ones that dissipate quickly. If we completely stop driving and flying and trucking... That would take 100 years to get those gases out of the atmosphere. Yeah, and, um, you know, those numbers, when I dug into the science, I realized how um, they're not very accurate numbers. So we use the number 100 as the time it takes for carbon to cycle out of the atmosphere, but it's it's a... It's a guess. It's an approximation. Some carbon gets out of the atmosphere immediately. Some take thousands of years. We choose 100. And methane also uh, takes about, depends on how you look at it, over a 20-year period, it takes, um, it's, 70, it's like 70 or 80 times more powerful than carbon dioxide, but it takes about 8 to 12 years to cycle out of the atmosphere. It's faster. But still, these numbers are kind of um, approximations. Because it's complicated. It is complicated. And that's why I wish we didn't have to talk about it. But obviously, it may be the most important thing that we have to talk about. So I want to know about this from a rancher's perspective. What did they ask you? (laughs) Well, you know, I was trying to make the point that it doesn't matter what these numbers are with climate change, whether you believe in climate change or not. I wanted them to know that there are so many things that are wrong with animal agriculture, the air pollution, the water pollution, the soil degradation, the breaking down of biodiversity, and... For me, the number one thing, cruelty, I told them at the beginning of the presentation, I do not believe in killing animals. I said, you're not going to like what I have to say. I'm a vegan, but here we go. And uh, they were really open to my message. They were very glad that I came to speak with them. And they had the classic questions. I tried to answer what I expected their questions to be before they asked them. For example, I said, I get my protein the same place your cattle get their protein from plants. Uh Uh-huh. So right away, they didn't have to ask me, where do you get your protein? But they asked about iron. Where do I get my iron? They asked, um, would we, if we all became vegetarian, would there be enough kale and green vegetables for all of us to eat? Oh, and then, wouldn't that be a wonderful headline to see? <laughs> kale shortage causes kale run on spinach. Oh, yes, how I would love that. You know, but this, these are the things they think about, and they don't realize how many acres and acres of soy and cereal grains they're growing to feed animals so inefficiently. 
that there'd be tons of space to grow kale and all kinds of other wonderful plant foods. Now, Karen, because you're not one to just go and let something be, you made a documentary about... Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I forgot about that. Yeah, vegan preaching to the fire. What is it and where do we get it? Right. So um, we thought the story, after it happened, we had to tell it. And we took less than three months to put this documentary together. It's at my nonprofit website. You have to spell this out, responsibleeatingandliving.com, responsibleeatingandliving.com. It's right there on the homepage. It's 70 minutes. It's free. And uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback from all around the world. It's very inspiring. And if people do watch it, please watch it. And then let me know what you think about it. My email is info at realmeals.org. Karen, you have just been such a contributor to this movement from as long as I've known you. When you said that your um, documentary is free, everything that you've done for all these years has been from such a giving heart. So everybody get to know Karen Hartglass. She's C-A-R-Y-N, Hartglass with two S's. The website is all spelled out, responsibleeatingandliving.com. That's where you can watch the documentary the lone vegan preaching to the choir and give us your email one uh, more it's time. Preaching, it's preaching to the fire. Did I, did I, I was reading fire and said choir for you. Yeah, me. well, yeah. because the point is when we talk to each other at wonderful events like the Veggie Pride Parade or at Vegetarian Summerfest, in some respects we're preaching to a safe audience, the choir. Yes. But, but when we're preaching to cattle ranchers, it's like we're in the fire. Well, you know, you talk to cattle ranchers. I'm just here with investors. So this is going to be easy. Thank you so much, Karen. And just blessings on all you do. Everybody else, stay with us, please, through these messages, because we are going to be talking about bunnies and squirrels and possums in great big cities. Stay with us. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks, Karen. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. What if you could experience vibrant health? Help heal the planet and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com. Amazon.com or your favorite bookseller. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back, everybody. And I just learned something. Since I know most of you listen to this show as a podcast, you might forward through the announcements in the middle. I hope you don't, because these folks at Unity Online Radio are so good to us. I hope you listen to every second of what they have to say, because it's great and important stuff. But just in case you missed it, I want to let you know that I am Victoria Moran. My website is MainStreetVegan.net. Hope you take a visit there. And this radio show that you're listening to, Unity Online Radio, does the most incredible, uplifting, and unique programming. And they do operate via the donations of people who care about a better world. So if you can send a little prosperity their way, that would be most appreciated. And it is my pleasure now to introduce introduce two innovative, brilliant, and incredibly gutsy young women who have embarked on a venture that is so huge that maybe it's only because they're huge, they're they're young, that they know that they can do this thing. I love youth and hugeness. They all kind of go together. My guests today are Kathy Wolf and Adair Moran. Kathy has been working in the field of wildlife rehabilitation for nine years. Her degree is from the University of Colorado at Boulder in environmental studies with a specialization in conservation. She was one of the first employees at the Greenwood Wildlife Center in Colorado, where she helped shape their wildlife rehabilitation program by working as mammal nursery manager. Manager in charge of volunteer training and animal release. She is a licensed wildlife rehabilitator in Colorado, received her wildlife rehabilitator's license in Australia. Oh, talk about wildlife, and is currently completing the process to be licensed in New York. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you why that's important. Adair Moran is a lifelong vegan an actor, a playwright, and stunt performer in New York City, a graduate of the Neighborhood Playhouse Conservatory, and the co-author with her mom, who happens to be me, of Main Street Vegan. She's a New York State licensed wildlife rehabilitator and co-founder with Kathy and with another wonderful founder, they can give her name here in a second, of Urban Utopia Wildlife Rehabilitation. And we'll hear all about that shortly. They're having their launch party at Solas in New York City in the East Village on July 19th. So if you're in that part of the world, pay attention because we're going to invite you to come. Adair lives with her husband, Nick, who's also an actor, their two dogs, and an assortment of wild mammals and birds cycling through various stages of treatment before being released back into their habitat. Welcome, Kathy and Adair. Hi. Hi. It's wonderful. to. Oh, by all means, I'm so excited. You know, I have to say that in all my years as a vegan, I've been focusing on the animals that humans actively do mean things to, either on purpose or in the process of having an industry, making money, keeping the status quo going as it is. And I've not focused that much on wildlife because it seems that they're just there and nobody is much bothering them. But I've learned as you guys have started Urban Utopia and and the things that you're doing, wildlife in urban areas can run into some real problems. What's it like to be a squirrel in New York? Well, um, it's a very (laughs) interesting... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Kathy. Okay. So, yeah, it's it's a really interesting lifestyle um, just because it is more of an urban lifestyle. Um, Baby squirrels and squirrels in general around here um, have... Uh, they have it easier in many ways because a lot of times, I'm sure as people know, um, when they dig through your garbage and stuff, they don't have um, as much of uh, a resource issue as far as food. Um, but they do have the common interactions with dogs because there's more dogs on the streets in an urban environment than there would obviously in the rural as well as cats. Um, they're interacting with people and cars and bikes and children. So 
excuse me, they have to um, kind of adapt in different ways in order to coexist with us and um, live in harmony um, back and forth. And we want to help educate the public to uh, um, know how to uh, interact with them. Adair, anything to add to that? No, I think that that was everything. <laughs> well, the life of a squirrel in New York City. So I just want to ask each of you, and I'll start with you, Adair, why did you decide to become a wildlife rehabilitator? You know, I feel like I almost didn't decide it. It just sort of found me. I seemed to always be coming across, you know, injured birds and things who needed help, and I could never bear to just leave them on the street, so I'd pick them up. And then once that started happening, I, I really wanted to learn more about it. I wanted to know what I was doing when I got these animals. So I got the license, which made it, you know, legal for me to take home these animals and care for them. And then, you know, I found my love of working with, with distressed mammals. And so that was kind of where all of this came from. And how about you, Kathy? Well, um, I always loved animals through my entire life. And we were kind of the children who would bring things home to mom and be like, can we keep it? Can we keep it? And um, when I got into college, um, one of the classes that I took, you would get extra um, class credit if you did community service. And I really liked that because I used to have to do that through my high school. So I did a lot of research because I knew I wanted to do something with animals. And I kind of stumbled upon um, Greenwood. And that's the wildlife center in Colorado I was working at. And um, they were just two little um, trailers at the time. And um, I came in and did an internship with them. And pretty much the first day I walked in, a baby raccoon um, was brought in completely covered in fleas. And um, in Colorado, the rabies vector laws are a little different. But um, I was gowned up and gloved, um, and the staff member handed me this raccoon to hold while we were um, subcuing it and doing an intake. And pretty much from that moment, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Um, There's just no way that I could say no, and um, it was just kind of love at first sight at that point. Oh, oh, I love the aha experiences that change your life. So we are right now in baby squirrel season, I understand. So what should people do if they happen to find a baby squirrel? Well, the best thing is always going to be to try to get that baby squirrel back with its mother. If at all possible, you don't want a wild animal raised in captivity. You want to get it back with its mom. So um, first of all, I would tell people they should go to our website because we have a really clear breakdown of what to do if you find a baby squirrel. And um, that is urbanutopiawildlife.org. And there's a section called like help. I found a distressed animal. So they should click there and that has everything that you want to look for, which is things like blood or broken bones or maggots or uh, if the animal is very cold. If you see any of those things, you want to get that animal to a rehabber. But if you don't see that, if you find just a healthy baby squirrel, you want to try to get it back to its mother. And you do that by putting it in a box lined with something soft, like um, like a fleece blanket. Um, you probably want to put like some instant hand warmers in there or something to keep the baby warm. And then you want to try to get that box back up into the tree where you think the baby fell from. Uh, you want to try to try to tie it with some string or some wire so it's up off the ground. And then you wait and you check back in a couple of hours. And hopefully that mama squirrel was just going crazy looking for her baby. And she'll go and she'll get it and she'll take it back to the squirrel nest. Now, what about the old myth? I guess I've heard this more about birds than other animals. But I think I've heard it about any kind of, of wild creature, Kathy that if a human has touched this being, the mom won't want her little son or daughter anymore? Um, it is It is partially a myth. Um, as there is a little bit of truth in it. Um, it's not so much the scent, but if the mother is, um, kind of keep in mind that you're, you may not see the mother. She's probably watching the baby from a spot that you don't actually know she's there. So that's kind of why um, Adair really stressed you want to leave it up there for a few hours because even though you don't see the mother, most likely she's still looking for the baby. If you go and grab the baby and the mother sees that, she might misinterpret that as a predator grabbing her baby. But at the same time, if you return it, she'll go down to double check to make sure that her baby, you know, is there or not because they want everything in the world to get their baby back. So um, leaving it there and trying everything because even though we do a good job raising them, it's not what mom can do, and they have such a higher life expectancy, and they do so much better with mom. And so we're kind of a very um, 
secondary um, choice. Uh, I heard about an organization, I think it's called Pelts for Pups or something like that. We'd have to Google it. But, you know, sometimes people inherit from their grandmother an old fur coat or a fur stole and they don't really want to wear it, but they don't want to just throw it away. And and this organization collects these so that when they get these babies, they just do better when they're next to something that at least feels like the mom. I don't know. I always give my baby squirrels fleece and they seem to love it. And so tell me, go ahead, Kathy. Oh, um, at at Greenwood, actually, we had um, a bunch of people donate fur coats and um, we, you know, discussed like, you know, how should we handle this? Should we try to sell it, make money? And we felt wrong with that. So we did actually cut them up and the raccoons did so much better and any kind of babies that we got that they did really do a good job um, cuddling up with that fur and feeling like they're close to mom. I do know there's also stuffed animals that you can get that mimic heartbeats. So you can wrap that um, fur around the heartbeat stuffed animals, and it just really helps the, the babies stay calm and not stressed and rehabilitate them in a safer manner. Oh, that's very sweet. I'm going to embarrass Adare now and say, we had a teddy bear with a heartbeat when you were a little infant. Okay. <laughs> So I guess some things uh, work for all all mammals. We do have a lot in common with the other ones. If you have a question about uh, a wild mammal or, or a bird that you have found or that, that you might find because it's happened before, give us a call, 888-558-6489 and speak with Adair Moran or Kathy Wolf of urbanutopiawildlife.org. So what is Urban Utopia? I know it's brand new. You're just about to launch. What gave you the idea? Well, Urban Utopia Wildlife Rehabilitation is, um, we are the only wild mammal rehabilitation group in New York City. And um, kind of what gave us the idea was just we saw a tremendous need. There are not a lot of rehabbers in the city who will accept mammals, mammals, they're fairly difficult to raise. They, they take, you know, fairly large caging. And um, there are just a whole lot more animals that need help than there are rehabbers to help them. So we said, this is crazy. Why is there not a rehabilitation center for these animals in a city like New York? So our major goal for the future is to try to open a center that specializes in this. Well, it's a huge goal. I wish you Every, every good thing, as you know. So I know the first thing that people can do is come to your launch party on July 19th. Tell us about that. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be um, July 19th, uh, 7 to 10 at Solas in the East Village. Um, if people want to find out details, they can, again, go to our website, urbanutopiawildlife.org, and click on events. And there is a, there are all the details there for the launch party. And even though this is a fundraiser, there's no fee to get in, and you're advertising the $4 beer. That's yeah, a draw. There's, there's no cover charge. We're going to have a raffle and a silent auction, but a big part of this event is just to develop a network of support to let people know what we're doing. Well, there is the Wild Bird Fund in New York City, and I do want to give a shout-out to them because I know that you've both um, worked there from time to time. I think you, and Adair is, is still on staff there. Uh, Rita, the founder of that, is supporting the founding of Urban Utopia because it's a big city, and there are animals and birds that, that need some help. So tell us, tell our listeners what kinds of animals and, and birds are in New York City that people wouldn't expect? Oh, boy, um, a lot. I, think, I don't know. Kathy, you want to take this yeah. one? Yeah, for sure. There's so many. I mean, it's, it's actually kind of funny just because I'm from Colorado. A lot of the wildlife that I grew up with um, is, is different out here. But um, raccoons are still around, possums, the squirrels, bats. There's um, quite a few different varieties of bats. Up here, we have um, tree-dwelling species as well as crevice-dwelling species. Um, there's also um, so many different migratory birds. I mean, when people ask me, well, what are you doing, um, you know, just pigeons and squirrels, and it's no, actually there are so many birds that migrate through um, New York City, and they hit the windows, and they fall down. Um, there's We do have, like, ground squirrels, um, 
uh, foxes. I mean, we haven't seen any currently, but there are. Um, I know Staten Island has a great greenway that has so many different kinds of animals that um, many people would not expect. Um, waterfowl, swans, things of that nature. There is a bunch. It's just, you know, people stop and look around them. They'd probably be surprised at what they see. Well, when I was telling someone about urban utopia, he was kind of killing me and uh, kidding me and saying, wildlife in New York City, you mean the people who are hanging around after the bars close? Because you just don't <laughs> think about the most urban area in America as, as being home to all of these different species. So tell us, I know, Adair, you have had what I really think is great vegan karma. I know you think it's just being smart and having good sense that you have this fabulous uh, condominium with a yard. But people in Manhattan don't have yards usually, and you do. And I think the fact that you did have that little bit of green was part of what uh, incited you to to go uh, forward with your wildlife work. So who has cycled through your bathroom incubators and your outside uh, cage lately? Um, You know, I've had uh, quite a few baby squirrels this year. Um, I've had a couple possums, a couple of cottontails. Uh, My husband has built me some very nice outdoor caging this year. So the animals have a nice place to, uh, to grow up and the squirrels have a place to learn to climb around. So it's been really good. Well, your husband is a saint. I, I know it, it's one thing. You know, we, we meet these unsuspecting men. And first we're going to, you know, lay on them. Well, yeah, I, there's a lot of stuff I don't eat. And <laughs> there's, there's stuff I don't do and there's stuff I don't wear. And now in your case, you have expanded that to, and we're going to have possums in our bathroom. So, um, Nick, you're a saint. So... What what are some of the really unusual kinds of, of wildlife? I know most people have heard about the red-tailed hawks in Central Park. They're kind of famous. But, I mean, I've heard of wild turkeys. I've heard of, of uh, coyotes. Is that really true? Yeah, they're around. Yeah. I used to always see a wild turkey in Morningside Park who liked to hang out there. And I hear about them in lots of the other parks. So, Kathy, what drew you to New York City from Colorado? You seem like such a nature-loving young woman, and there you are in the urban jungle. Um, I had um, grown up in Colorado my whole life and um, kind of outgrown the college town of Boulder that I was living in, and um, I wanted to have some new experiences. I wanted to see how other centers run, and um, actually... The vet that I worked with in Colorado, she's from New York, and all she could do was talk about how the laws in New York City are so favorable to wildlife rehabbers. They're really strict in Colorado, and they make it very tough to do your job. So when I moved out here, I was very blown away at the fact that there were no centers. And um, jokingly, at the first wildlife conference that I went to in New York with my vet, which is how I found the Wild Bird Fund and my dog walking job and just got a lot of animal connections through there. One of the vets was joking with me, and he goes, I know you're going to do something big. I, you're going to start your own center. And I kind of just smiled at him, and I was like, no, there's no way. And it's um, kind of amazing to see now that how the ball is rolling, and it, it really does, um, the five boroughs does need some more animal care, and these guys really don't have anywhere to go. And we want to do it legally, and we want to do it in the best um for the best for the animals and make sure everybody has the proper caging and, and things of that nature. So, um, yep, it's kind of surprising, but here I am. <laughs> well, it seems like you're really in the perfect position to be successful with this for yourselves and for the animals. Even at this event where I am right now, which is investors, and they're looking to put their money in, into businesses that are going to grow in the future, and that's never been my world, I, you know, Finance is just not something that people that I grew up with were studying. But as I've just observed people today, I see that what they're doing is looking for a need. And you fill the need, and that's a successful project, whether it's a a nonprofit, as I know you guys are uh, about to get your 501c3, so you you will be a a nonprofit organization, or, or, or whether it's a business. And in New York City, there needs to be a place 
to take care of these wild mammals. And I'm just excited as can be to kind of be watching from the outside on the ground floor of having this happen. So really quickly, before we go to break, where do these animals animals that you rehabilitate come from? Um, this is actually one of the most common questions I get asked because um, even in Colorado, people kind of think, well, are you just, going into the forest and stealing babies and bringing them back. And um, actually, a lot of times, you'll find the one orphan baby because the mother has kicked it out of the nest and the mother knows that there's something actually physically wrong with them. So it's kind of a survival of the fittest thing and and they boot them out. There are also, um, you know, mothers get hit by cars and the babies are sitting there or kids throw rocks at the animals and then they get injured. So there's a lot of different... um, things that come about human or non-human and then people, you know, have that decision where they have this baby and they they make a choice and calling a rehabber and figuring out if that choice is either to bring that animal to a wildlife rehabber or leave it there um, is, uh, is a good way to go and a good way to educate yourself. Well, you're doing God's work, that's for sure. And we're going to go to a break. So listen to every word. It's very educational and inspiring. And we'll be back right after this with more Main Street Vegan Radio, talking about the squirrels and the bunnies. I'm Dr. Tom Shepard, host of Let's Talk About It on Unity Online Radio. In my studies of world religions, I've repeatedly encountered two central spiritual questions. How do we make sense of life, and how do we live it more successfully? You're invited to explore these two questions with me in my new book, The Many Faces of Prayer, How the Human Family Meets Its Spiritual Needs. You'll be amazed at the remarkable ways people have learned to pray to their gods and to celebrate life individually and as communities of faith. Learn more at unitybooks.org. Ever notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan. I'm Victoria Moran. So happy to have you with us today. And we are talking about wildlife and wildlife rehabilitation with Kathy Wolf and Adair Moran, both certified uh, wildlife rehabilitators. And they are two of the co-founders of Urban Utopia Wildlife Rehabilitation, starting up in New York City. And what's the name of your third founder? Her name is uh, Micah. Micah. Okay. Well, we just wanted yeah, to do Micah. a sh- shout out to her because I know she does a lot of your uh, social media and, and she was talking about the show today on, on Twitter and on your Facebook page. And so on the Facebook page, is that also Urban Utopia Wildlife? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, like the Facebook page, you know, it's amazing. The power of the like. So if you just want to go there and give these uh, very committed young women uh, a like for their new organization, that would just be dandy. So, Kathy, you've been doing this for almost 10 years now. 
So what are some of the most interesting animals you've worked with? Um, I have worked with some pretty interesting things. Um, We actually had two baby bobcats, kittens, come in. And um, there is a a big difference between rehabbing um, canids uh, as far as felines. So canids, um, because they are um, just the way that their hierarchy works, you can kind of scruff them and pin them down by their neck, and they kind of give way. Um, Felines are kind of a whole different game because they will actually take you out. So there is a little bit of danger in there. You have to know what you're doing and have to be a certain kind of expertise. And um, the baby bobcats that we had gotten uh, in Colorado, they have a special place where they send them. But I do remember going in just to kind of slide the food bowl, and it was probably one of the most scary noises I've ever heard in my entire life coming from this this very small little um, baby kitten. Um, Also, uh, we had a mink, which was pretty interesting because you um, obviously those have been hunted quite a bit. You don't see them that often in Colorado. Marmots, which are basically these little... um, kind of squeaky things that live on the top of mountains. They sound like fire alarms. Chipmunks, foxes. Um, it was pretty interesting uh, when we got a pelican in because I was not aware that pelicans would be anywhere near Colorado since there's no ocean. And um, they do migrate through there, and um, if they are thick enough to have to land in Colorado, it's kind of an interesting um, uh, <laughs> interesting endeavor because um, – they usually need the fish to be moving in water, and we have outdoor enclosures where they are. So when I first started interning, um, usually in the wildlife rehab realm, when it comes to needing to hold an animal that can be dangerous, the staff member does it, and then you have your intern do kind of the dirty work. So the staff member goes in, and we're wearing goggles because seabirds do try to go through your eyes, and uh, pelicans have this hook at the end of their beak. So the staff member grabs this pelican's um, mouth and then tells me to grab a fish and stick my arm all the way down its neck and, and put this fish in. And um, I have to admit, they do have a pretty interesting smell that comes out of their mouth, and it is a very interesting sensation to um, actually have to shove a fish down a pelican's neck. So that was pretty interesting as well. Um, well, that, that is not an experience. That most people have to <laughs> tell their grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? It's, it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, raccoons is another one that um, they're definitely one of my favorite of the mammals. They're kind of this interesting um, mixture of like a cat, a dog, and a monkey. And they're, they're really smart. And a lot of people kind of take that for granted, I think. Um, and uh, so them getting into your trash and stuff, there are ways to outsmart them. But um, we would have them in these outdoor enclosures, and we don't talk to them and we ignore them. But when you go in and you have to clean their cage, they actually kind of team up on you and and play pranks. So I've actually had it once where, because you're wearing scrubs, I had some raccoons actually grab my drawstring, de-pants me, and then take everything out of my pockets and run in three different directions. And it totally seemed like they had actually coordinated this attack upon me to get whatever was in my pockets, which is usually like a cell phone or, you know, syringes and medicine. And um, sometimes they, they really like their deworming medicine because it tastes like bananas. So they'll kind of try to steal it from each other because they actually like the taste of it. So, Oh, I love those stories because it, it crosses so many species barriers. I had a similar experience with the little pig when I was visiting Farm Sanctuary a couple of years ago. He wanted my necklace And I put it in the pocket thinking, you know, this pig is just a couple of months old. He's not going to figure it out. A baby couldn't have figured it out at two months of age or six or eight. This pig figured it out. So it's really, really interesting what uh, the rest of the world, the world beyond the humans is is up to. So, um, Adair, I know that you're really into public education. What is one thing that you would like to teach the public about wildlife and and wildlife rehab? Um, I guess the one thing that I really want people to understand is the difference between a wild animal and a pet animal. Both of them are wonderful, but they're two very different things. And I think a lot of the time we get people who rescue these animals and they don't understand why they can't keep it as a pet or why it's not okay to pet it and to cuddle it. 
And it's just because wild animals are different. You know, they don't want to live with us. They don't want to be kept in cages. They want to be free. That's what they do. And I think that's a really hard thing for a lot of people who have only been around domestic animals to understand. And I think, yeah, just learning to, like, let wildlife be wild is something really important that everyone needs to understand. Well, it would probably be a lot more easy if they weren't so cute. But I they guess... are very cute, and in some ways I think that makes it harder. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just a completely different ballgame, working with wild animals than working with pets. Yeah. And so, the, the cuteness wears off when they get older. So definitely when they get older, it's not even a question. You don't want to be around them. They do not make good pets in any way, shape, or form. So Yeah, we'll sometimes run into the problem that people will raise an animal and they'll raise it like a pet and it will reach a certain age where it becomes aggressive towards them because it's an adult wild animal. And at that point, it doesn't have any of the resources to survive in the wild and yet it's too wild to be a pet. And so those situations are really, really sad for that animal. Yeah, they they really are. You hear about it with exotic animals, uh, with a lot of potbelly pigs. I know some people do have potbelly pigs if they're able to keep uh, throughout that animal's lifetime as a companion animal, and it works well. But so often people get this little cute pig, and they don't understand that he's going to grow up to be a great big pig. They always say, oh, well, they're not that big. Well, compared to a farm pig that's over a 1,000 pounds, no. But they're still going to be too big for your living room. That's how Pigs a Sanctuary was was formed. A woman had a pot-bellied pig, and it just became more than than she could handle. And so these these men took in the one pig, and now it's a full sanctuary there in, in West Virginia. We've had them on the show, and they have every kind of farmed animal. So, what else when somebody finds some sort of of animal in distress? Do most cities in North America have wildlife centers where these animals can go? Yes and no. Um, it, it kind of depends. Um, in Colorado, the animal control actually picks up the animal and they can take it to a vet because they don't want the wildlife being handled by the public. And um, I just want to let people know that wildlife is not owned by the rehabbers. It is not owned by the public. It is actually owned by the government. So there are rules and regulations that we have to follow that um, go along with it that we, we don't have a choice or a say in. So, for instance, in New York, it is illegal to have wildlife as pets. And so if an animal is injured and cannot go back into the wild, then, um, you know, we, we have to take certain actions to follow the law. But um, in different uh, cities, depending on the laws, like, for instance, in California, you can have wildlife as pets. So um, their centers and the, their regulations are a little different. So depending on what state and what area you're in, but there are, I'm pretty sure all 50 states at least have some rehabbers, but um, there is very few of us. There's not very many. So what happens when wildlife gets a little bit close for comfort? I was just talking with someone at Summerfest who had raccoons in the attic. So how, how does one humanely and sanely deal with these kinds of situations? Um, if, if you um, educate yourself, um, I was very lucky that my mentor, um, in Colorado you have a mentor wildlife rehabilitator who trains you, and he actually did a humane wildlife um, removal service. So I learned a lot of very interesting things. For instance, if you have skunks under your porch and you don't want them to spray your dog or, you know, spray the kids, um, most animals hate the smell of pine salt. And he used to joke with me that he wished he had taken out stock in pine salt. And you actually can just get rags and soak them full of pine salt and put them at different um, areas around the porch, and it'll actually vacate the animals. The other thing to keep in mind at this time of year, for instance, raccoons in your attic, that mother either may be looking for a nest, so you want to make sure that you can see if there are any holes and cover those up before she makes the nest. But if she does make the nest, the mother raccoon will only stay there for a few weeks, and then she will actually move the litter on her own. So depending on the situation, it may just be best to leave them, and they will actually vacate on their own and just make sure that all those holes in areas that they can get in and out of 
Um, we do get a lot of calls where people have boarded up and locked the mother out and actually have left the babies. So a few days later, they'll hear screaming from the attic, and, um, you know, we will get these starved and emaciated babies that were kind of stuck up there. So just um, calling around, getting some good education, actually knowing um, a lot of times wildlife rehabbers will be able to tell you what time of year it is so you can um, do that. They do sell trash bags that are actually, it smells like pine salt. So those are the trash bags that raccoons and squirrels don't actually want to dig into because they do smell nasty to them. Fascinating. Now, Adair, is, and part of your job educating the public, you probably hear a lot of myths and misconceptions. What, what are some of the big ones? Well, you mentioned the one about uh, if you touch an animal, the mother will reject it. Um, you hear that one a lot about baby birds. Everyone thinks that about baby birds, and, and it's just not true, not when it comes to birds. Um, another one that I've heard a lot is that if you see a raccoon or another nocturnal animal out during the day, it means that it's most definitely rabid. Um, and that's not true either. Uh, often, like, mother raccoons who are lactating might need to get up during the day when they'd normally be sleeping to hydrate themselves so that they can keep producing milk for the babies. Um, I've also heard during mating season, sometimes the males will be out a little bit later in the day looking for a female. So there are things that will drive them out during those times, and that doesn't automatically mean that that animal is rabid if it's showing no sign whatsoever of rabidity. Well, speaking um, same of... For, for bats. Oh, sorry. Excuse me? For bats. Um, bats can be out in the day. Like, a lot of time, people will think if they see a bat outside sitting on the side of a fence, um, when I was in Colorado and rehabbed bats, bats actually, when they get cold, they will sit outside in the sun and they will sun themselves. So it is not necessarily that they are rabid or sick if you see them, you know, out sunning themselves. It could be that they were cold or they were knocked out of their nest. And um, if you do ever see bats, don't touch them because if you touch them, um, they have to be tested for rabies. So call a rehabber or a police officer or someone else, but leave them where they're at is, is a good way to go. The other so, myth that I hear a lot is um, the myth that squirrels make excellent pets. I think there have been a few Internet videos that have promoted this idea, but like Kathy mentioned earlier, they don't. They make terrible pets, and it's illegal. And you definitely do not want an adult squirrel as a pet, so I don't care what adorable YouTube video you saw. Don't believe it. Don't keep a squirrel as a pet. And so the species that are considered rabies vectors, the ones that you do not want to touch for any reason, would be which animals? Well, the ones that are considered, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, yeah. So in in New York, um, in New York State, it is bats, skunks, and um, raccoons are the ones that are considered rabies vector in this state. They vary from state to state. Um, there's also talk of um, gray foxes also possibly ending up on that list at this point. Okay, but, so I mean, generally speaking, with wildlife, you don't want to be touching them anyway. It doesn't matter what kind of wildlife it is. You shouldn't be touching it. But if you, you find an to, injured... to rescue a baby... Hmm? Go that? ahead, finish, finish your sentence. Oh, I was just going to say, if you do need to find a baby squirrel or something, those are fairly low risk, but it's still a good idea to put on some gloves or to wrap it in a towel or something like that. We don't generally advocate touching wildlife. Okay. Yeah, or picking yeah. it up. They can be uh, dangerous, so... So what is uh, Urban Utopia Wildlife Rehabilitation going to be doing in the future? Well, um, right now we are, we are trying to build up a lot of connections. We're trying to fundraise because, like we said, our hope is to one day have a center, and that's something that we want to make happen. So um, right now we're focused on rehabbing as many animals as we can, given our, our pretty limited resources at the moment. Uh, we're working on having our launch party and getting the word out about the organization. So we're pretty busy. Well, it, it's very exciting. Also, and eventually, it, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, also, eventually, um, we're looking to hopefully um, getting an actual location started. Um, so we're not just doing it out of out of apartments and homes and and kind of getting the ball rolling on that. But that's that's in the distant future. So. Well, it may be the distant future. You never know who's listening today who might want to help make it a closer reality. I'm just feeling so many wonderful things happening in this world right now for animals. There just seems to be an awakening to their needs and their importance and their beauty and their values. So 
You just um, never know who might be visiting urbanutopiawildlife.org and helping you guys get closer and closer to your actual space. So New Yorkers, come to the party on July 19th. Everybody else, give a good old like to Urban Utopia Wildlife on Facebook. And thank you so much, both of you and your third co-founder, for wanting to do this wonderful, wonderful thing for wild mammals in the Big Apple. Listeners, next week we have Kathy Freston. Yeah, isn't that cool? The veganist is going to be our guest on the next edition of Main Street Vegan. Hope that you will join us then. Wherever you are today in real life or out there on the world life world wide web, God bless you and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your hosts, Reverends Dale Worley and Christy Snow, are alive with the Spirit of God and singing their love to you. Each Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music. It's the only thing that the whole world listens to. Music speaks louder than words when you Repeat the words God is taking care of it, and it will become clear that you are the channel and that God is the doer of good works through you. This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity. Ever notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Examine what it means to be sacred activists in service of compassion and justice. We may find ourselves asking, how do we become a sacred activist? Institute for Sacred Activism founder Andrew Harvey says, follow your heartbreak. His advice echoes Gandhi, who once said, whenever you are in doubt, apply the following test. Recall the face of the poorest and the weakest person whom you may have seen, and ask yourself if the step you contemplate is going to be of any use to them. Will they gain anything by it? Will it restore them to a control over their own life and destiny? So, whenever in doubt about the direction of your life, just ask yourself, what breaks my heart? Whose suffering is simply too much to bear? And then commit your life to alleviate it. Don't turn your face away from the pain and injustice that is so prevalent in our world. Courageously bear witness to it, and in prayer... 
Dedicate your life to healing it. Gain more spiritual insight. Listen to Radical Spirituality and Sacred Activism with Adam Bucko, Mondays at 4 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. We talk to the animals, and we know you can too. On the Animal Communication Podcast, hosted by the three of us, myself, Julie Heert, Karen Dendy Smith, and Meredith Tollison, we will show you how to deepen your relationship with your beloved animal companions, whether they're alive or in spirit. As soul-level animal communicators, we explain the process and explore topics such as health, behavior, and play, all from the animal's perspective. So subscribe and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and listen as part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.